0: Must be 21 years or older to enjoy. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate responsibly. When you rely on the internet for everything, you need speed that can handle anything. Xfinity delivers Wi-Fi speed faster than a gig.
1: Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today. Restrictions apply. Gig Wi-Fi requires gig speed and compatible X-Fi gateway. Actual speeds vary, not guaranteed.
2: From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson.
0: Thanks, Rob, and welcome to the Sox Machine Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Nelson, and it's the week of May 20th, 2019. On this week's show, we'll preview Hell Week as the Chicago White Sox go on the road visiting Houston and Minnesota this week the two best records in the American League while it does feel good to talk about a team that's 21 and 24 what is the record going to look like after this upcoming week plus we'll recap the week that was down in the minor leagues and answer your questions in P.O. Sox we will catch up on the weekend series for the Chicago White Sox and preview the nasty road trip they have heading to Houston and Minnesota next week later in the show. But first, we'll chat with our guest about the White Sox farm system, the new top 100 prospect rankings, and the Major League Baseball draft, which is just two weeks away. It's one of our best friends of the show from mobpipeline.com. It's Jim Callis. And hello, Jim. Thanks for coming back on the show.
2: Yeah, glad to be here, Josh.
0: Let's start with the positive. That's my goal in 2019, Jim, is to be more positive. Uh, The new top 100 rankings update for prospects came out for MLB Pipeline, and Luis Robert makes a huge jump. He's now the 18th overall prospect and is the second-ranked White Sox prospect behind Eloy Jimenez. He was great in Winston-Salem for 18 games. The only game I saw him on my trip down there, he struck out four times, but alas, uh, He's starting to adapt to double A pitching at Birmingham. Is Robert starting to display the potential that you thought he had when the White Sox signed him uh, out of Cuba, Jim?
2: He he is, and and uh, you know it's funny <laughs> we moved him up. You know we kind of a, make some adjustments to our top 100 every six weeks or so. We we revote on the top 15, and then we move other guys. Up, who or or down if they need to make a big move. Now, I heard from a lot of White Sox fans who thought we were not bullish enough on Luis Nieves, <laughs> Robert. Uh, you know, and I kind of try to remind people, you know, the first four guys on our list are all in the big leagues, including Eloy. Um, so it's it, you know, he's actually probably you know here is in the big leagues. So if you're actually doing guys who are in the minors, he he's he's even higher. Those guys just still as rookies. But no, I, I think we're starting to see. This is why you know the White Sox went out and gave him $26 million and paid another $26 million as a tax penalty under the old bonus rules. And, you know, we saw flashes of it last year in the Arizona Fall League. I mean, as you know and your listeners know, um, even in the Dominican Summer League, he, he was banged up a little bit. He was hurt last year, didn't get to play a whole lot, didn't do a whole lot when he did. He even had a hamstring early, early in the Fall League. In the second half of the Fall League, I... I thought, and I think anybody who saw him down there thought he had the best combination of, of bat speed and foot speed of anybody in the league, and and he's just continued to do it this year. Um, and if he continues to do it, I think he'll keep moving up our list. You know, it, it's funny. I mean, his his ops last year was was six ninety four. He, he didn't hit a home run in fifty games. You know, which was not the least Robert the White Sox thought they were getting. He just wasn't healthy. And this year, he's you know he's got ten homers in, in thirty two games already. And, and I, I shudder to think, Josh, if he gets to Charlotte, where anybody who doesn't think the major league baseball is that there's something going on with them needs to look at triple a stats this year mm-hmm. where in triple a they're scoring they're using major league balls for the first time and oh just coincidentally they're scoring 30 percent runs per game more than the rest of the minor leagues uh uh like, geez you know um how's that happening uh but anyway if he gets a triple a i mean it, it, i think it's just going to get crazier but you know he's it's only been two weeks but he's, he's pounding the ball in birmingham as well um I think there's still a little bit of me that says, okay, he's been great for 32 games. I'd like to see just a little bit more before I go crazy. But it, 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 it's kind of funny. I was looking at his overall minor league numbers now, Josh, and, and and you know, for a guy who didn't homer in 50 games last year, he he now is a career 316, 410, 532 hitter in the minors, uh, which is kind of I think what the White Sox thought they were getting when when they signed him a couple of years ago.
0: But you know how we are, Jim. We are a greedy bunch, us White Sox fans, in the last couple of years when it comes to prospect rankings. You mentioned the top four prospects right now. They're in the major leagues, so they'll graduate eventually. Are we talking about Luis Robert being a top ten prospect in the near future?
2: Yeah, I I, I'll, I think if he continues to hit like he has in the first you know, month plus of the year, and he stays healthy, and we're going to have... At least four guys graduate ahead of him, and Brendan Rodgers is up, and Keston Hira is up. Well, let's even raise the ante, I'm not saying it's going to happen, but if he continues to produce like this, I think by when we do our, our massive overhaul right before the trade deadline, maybe we're even talking about a top five prospect.
0: Wow. All right. I like this. Big positive to start the segment.
2: There you go.
0: Yes. Now let's get to the bad news. Uh, (laughs) As we discussed in the show last week, major injuries to Carlos Rodon, Nate Jones, and Mike Rodolfo all out for the rest of 2019. And Jim looking at the White Sox top 30 prospects. It's a good thing that Luis Robert is having the season that he's having because the number three, number six, and number eight prospect for the White Sox are out for 2019, missing a year of development. How do the injuries to Michael Kopech, Dane Dunning, and now Mike Adolfo impact the White Sox long term?
2: Well, I think if you want to try to stay positive, you could say long term, you feel like these guys should all be able to bounce back. I mean... I don't want to underestimate, you know, the difficulty of coming back from Tommy John's surgery because the grueling is very, I mean, the rehab is very grueling. You know, Brady Aiken did not bounce back from it. Um, But I think the track record generally is if you work hard, you do come back from it. Um, Kopech doesn't even need the, hey, his stuff's gotten even better from Tommy. I mean, if if Kopech's stuff gets any better coming from Tommy John, it it may have to be outlawed because he already had crazy stuff. So I, I feel like with Kopech and Dunning, again, Tommy John surgery, it's not what you want, you miss this year, you're kind of, you know, not quite, you know, they're going to handle you carefully next year, and you're talking really 2021 before you really turn those guys loose, but you know, I mean, if you're a White Sox fan, yeah, I think everybody was hoping they would contend in 2020, but it, it might be 2021. So long term, I, I don't think, I mean, you don't want those guys to get hurt, but I, I don't think it's going to necessarily damage their careers long term, and If you want to look at glass half full, better to have Tommy John surgery now when the White Sox are terrible than to have the White Sox maybe get back into contention in 2020 and then they both blow out in the middle of the season. So I'll look at glass half full on that. With Adolfo, I mean – he should be able to come back from elbow surgery. The, the, the concern with him is he's just lost so many at-bats over the course of years. It's, I, I, I'm looking at this, and it, I mean, I guess it seems correct, Josh, because we've talked about it forever. He got signed in 2013. Mm-hmm. 2013 he got signed, and he's played parts of six seasons. Now you probably know this, but I'll ask you anyway, because maybe you don't have it friend. How many games do you think he's played in six professional seasons? Oh my gosh,
0: 300? maybe
2: 351 351 that's like so that's the equivalent of three seasons in six and you know he basically has played you know a little less than one full season in the last two and uh, you know i you know the injury physically should not you know necessarily restrict him i mean maybe it'll have an effect on his arm strength but i mean his arm was a cannon to begin with it's just it's it's disappointing because the one year he stayed the – I mean, he's he's basically had I – mean, well, maybe his first year when he was 17 he was healthy. But, like, since he got going, he's had one year where he stayed mostly healthy, and that was in 2017, and he made a ton of progress. And he actually hit pretty well last year before they had to shut him down to have the Tommy John surgery. So, you know, it, it's, not, it's not that, you know, his career is over or damaged and he's still young, he's 22, but, you know, he's probably lost – you know, something like 1,500 at bats over the years, and 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 you need those at bats. And you know, I'm not saying he was going to be as good as Eloy, but Eloy was part of the same international class, and Eloy's in the big leagues. And and, and Mike Rodolfo has played 23 games in Double A because of the injuries. So that's the one that would, I guess, make me the saddest. Not because I think like physically his career is over, because it's not. But just he needs. I mean, it, it's you know even more so than ever now. He needs at bats, and he's he got 78 at bats this year.
0: Then there is Birmingham, which if you want to feel sad or confused, look at the hitting stats for the Barons: Blake Rutherford, Luis Masabe, Luis Gonzalez, Gavin Sheets, Jim. All four of these guys are having terrible seasons <laughs> at the plate. And the expectation was is that the White Sox wanted to be a continued winner. Once the rebuilder, once this rebuild came to fruition, they turned the corner to contender, uh, to contender and they would have enough prospects to continue adding to the majors. But the, we're talking about three top 10 prospects, and then there's Gavin Sheets here, which the White Sox may think could help them out at first base if they still don't figure out the situation with Jose Abreu uh, in the near future. If Jimenez graduates and Kopech graduates, uh, is this even a top-ten farm system anymore?
2: Well, Kopech's not going to graduate this year you know, because of the injury, and Dylan Cease probably won't. So I, I think, well, losing Eloy is not going to help, and you have guys hurt, you know, Roberts you know, on the upswing. I, that, that's an interesting question. Cause it's, I'm not trying to duck it, It's it's – Always tough to answer those questions because you really have to sit there and look at literally every farm system. Once Eloy graduates, I think they'll still be a top ten farm. Like nobody else is going to graduate this year. Um, if well, I know, well, you know what? And they're going to get the number three pick in the draft. So I will say yes, they will still be a top ten farm system when we reevaluate in midseason. If they, have, you know, these guys that in Double A continue to hit like they have. And if, I mean, now, now I feel like I'm getting into the doom and gloom part a little bit. And, and I'm not pronouncing doom and gloom, but Nick Madrigal, I, I don't know what to make of him. I mean, he's he's kind of doing the same thing he did last year where, you know, he's, he's making contact, but he's not walking a lot and he's not hitting for a lot of power. And, I mean, I'm having scouts who've kind of seen him are kind of like, you know, what kind of impact is this guy going to really have now? It's still early in his pro career, so I don't want to pronounce anything, but I, I think those questions at least are probably in the back of your mind a little bit. So, yeah, if you want to be negative, once Eloy graduates, I mean, you've got Luis Robert, who's on fire, and Dylan Cease, who, who's having a solid year in AAA, and, you know, even probably better than solid when you consider they're using billiard balls as baseballs. But <laughs> then you're talking, looking just in order on our list, Tommy John, Guy slugging 366. Tommy John, guy not hitting at Birmingham, Tommy John, guy not hitting at Birmingham, guy not hitting at Birmingham. That's our top ten as of right now. Now, now let's swing around to the positive. I know he's off to a slow start, Winston-Salem, but Steel Walker's looking like the guy they thought they were getting last year. And and then maybe we'll have Jake Berger back in a little bit. So, So let's try to stay positive.
0: Now, as you mentioned, the White Sox will get another crack at adding more talent to their pipeline with the Major League Baseball draft in two weeks. As you mentioned, Jim, they do have the third overall pick in the draft, and right now the consensus is is that Adley Rushman, the catcher out of Oregon State, will go number one to Baltimore. Bobby Witt Jr., the high school shortstop from Texas, will go number two to Kansas City. And for the White Sox, if the draft were tomorrow, who do you think they will take third overall?
2: I think they would take C.J. Abrams, the high school shortstop from Georgia. He's well above average runner. He is one of the better hitters in the high school class. He's not just a a raw athlete. He's got some sneaky pop. You know, you, you have questions. Like you saw it with Royce Lewis when he went number one overall. Can this guy stay at shortstop? You get a little of that with C.J., but less of it. Yeah, you know, I think people are more confident after watching the spring he's gotten better at shortstop that there's a greater chance he's a shortstop than a center fielder. You know, Maybe it was 50-50 for some people coming into the year, and, and now I think people are like, yeah, you know what? He probably is a shortstop, and it's funny because talking about White Sox fans give me grief on Twitter, and it's all fun. Uh, like When I did my first mock two weeks ago, which I think was one of the first – Mocks, where somebody tried to project the whole first round. And, and I've even said on your show probably, what, two or three times, however, however often I've been on since we started talking about the draft, Josh, I've said, man, you know, you look at the White Sox and what they've done recently, and Andrew Vaughn from Cal, who's the best hitter in the draft, the Golden Spikes winner, just seems like he's, you know, that fits the White Sox mold at three. So when I went with CG Abrams at three two weeks ago, White Sox fans were like, "Oh, you're like telling me how insane I am! Like, oh, that's not going to happen." I even had other teams say, "Hey, look, um, that just doesn't seem like a White Sox style pick." Like the teams kind of picking behind them, you know, in the top ten picks in the first round. Well, when I wrote that three weeks ago, I wasn't just trying to be different. I actually had some decent intel from, you know, I'll even say, members of the White Sox organization that they, you know, have a bunch of corner bats. You know, as good as Vaughn is, and they weren't running Vaughn down specifically, but everybody thought they were going to take Vaughn. I mean, yes, you know, Abreu might depart after this year, but, you know, Jake Berger might be a first baseman after rupturing his Achilles twice. And, I mean, they like Gavin Sheets. I, I'm i at the point where I'm going to say Gavin Sheets isn't going to hit for enough power as a pro because we just haven't seen it. You know, I, you know I'm not the biggest guy on Zach Collins, and I think if he's a regular, it might be more at first base than a catcher. Um And just drafting a first baseman, not that you draft for need, but, you know, if you have him kind of equal with with a couple other guys, that an up-the-middle guy would be better. So I I still think C.J. Abrams over somebody like Andrew Vaughn.
0: Okay. I wrote about C.J. Abrams on SoxMachine.com in my latest draft profile, and there are a lot of things I agree with you, Jim, especially when you look at the White Sox farm system. Yes, Tim Anderson is under contract. With two club options, he could be with the White Sox into 2024, but after Anderson in and this farm system, the best White Sox shortstop is Laz Rivera.
2: And he's not hitting in Birmingham either, So, and he's 24.
0: <laughs> and there's not a lot of talent the White Sox have at shortstop in the farm system, so adding someone like C.J. Abrams, in my opinion, would be a really smart decision, but um, But as you mentioned with Andrew Vaughn and how he could help the White Sox and why I find the mock of Abrams to the White Sox refreshing, uh, just because when you do put your stock into these college hitters, if they don't pan out, uh, then you're kind of left wondering what's going to happen in the very near future. And I feel like that's kind of where the White Sox have been since 2016. I mean, Zach Collins. Uh, Jake Berger, as you mentioned, Nick Madrigal, people are starting to have questions on. Uh, Do you see maybe a philosophy change with the White Sox on how they start handling the draft? What has transpired in the last three years?
2: I don't – I would not say that. I do think the White Sox have made an effort to be more – to oversimplify things – analytical in the draft – Um, I don't think that was something they looked at a lot, and I think they're looking at, you know, it's no secret. They've drafted a lot of guys who've had a lot of success in college, and, you know, a lot of times that translate. And it's weird because you're right. I mean, if you look at the, you know, Alex Call was another one. who is he's having an okay? You know, I guess they did they trade Alex Call or Mike? They did. Yeah. They got
0: Yonder Alonso. That's right, and he's Alex
2: Call. And Alex Call's not even played yet this year, which is why it was throwing me because I'm like, wait a minute, there's no uh, no other organization listed on base baseball reference page. But Alex Call was a guy who had a really nice year at Ball State. So they've they've gone for college performers, and I mean, you can look across the city and the White the Cubs have had a lot of success doing that. You know, you know, and it's too early to say. You know, thumbs up, thumbs down. These guys, I. I was never a number of big fan of Zach Collins as a catcher and I thought that pick at ten only really made sense to me if you thought he was a catcher, which I think the White Sox, you know, do or did and still do to a large extent. I like the Jake Berger pick. I like the Nick Madrigal pick. I mean it was he he was a tough one because he's such a great player. Um, you did wonder about the impact a little bit but you know he's got impact tools you thought with the bat and the speed and the defense at second so I'm not necessarily going to question those picks and I don't think they're necessarily questioning those picks yet and I do think you know I'm not trying to talk out both sides about you, you should not draft for need at the top of the draft you should I guess if you have three or four guys you're looking at and they're all pretty close then maybe you take the guy who you know fits your need the best but you know if they think CJ Abrams, you know, makes the most sense, you know, then they take CJ Abrams. You know, I could I could see taking, you know, Andrew Vaughn there. Um I could see I again, not that you draft for me, but I think the other two guys in the mix, you know, there's going to be six hitters who probably go in the top 6 picks. You know, Rutchman Witt, you see if you know, I think it's CJ Abrams third to to the White Sox, I think I went Boudet, fourth to the Marlins, Vaughn, fifth to the Tigers, that's J.J. Bleday, Vanderbilt outfielder, and then Riley Green, a, a Florida high school outfielder, to the Potters. I think those guys are probably, very good chance they're going to go in the top six picks and maybe the order gets shuffled around or whatever. I don't really see them taking the outfielders. Um, I, I would put the outfielders behind the rest of those guys anyway, and they're both corner guys. And even though a lot of the guys are hurt or not performing, the White Sox really don't need more corner outfielders. Again, if, if you think J.J. J. is definitely the best player three, you should take him. But like I, I, I actually made the joke when I was talking to the White Sox, like don't draft some more corner outfielders. It's already hard enough. I got like six <laughs> of them ranked in a row on the top ten because um, I like Steel Walker a lot. Um, so anyway. Um, yeah, I, I think it's going to probably come down to CJ Amers or Andrew Vaughn. Although you know, we, we probably have to discuss because I, I created a little Twitter excitement yesterday. The possibility, Allie Rutschman might get there at number three. Or did, did 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 you see my tweet? Did you get excited don't, at don't all? Don't
0: tease us, I, Jim. I saw that. I shook my head, <laughs> and my first thought was, "Here we go." Everyone in White Sox Nation is going to be super excited, and they're going to dream about this possibility. But, I mean, who knows who knows what Baltimore will do? We think that they have changed their thinking, but they're adopting to the Houston Astros, oh, yeah, thinking, making all those hires, and the Astros have shocked us in the past before,
2: well, and the Astros also <laughs> from the media standpoint, it's terrible. The Astros also strategically did not engage in financial talks with the guys they were going to take at one one until you know a few hours before the draft began, so we aren't going to know and I, I'm with you. I don't think like I had to keep emphasizing if, and then I had a bunch of happy White Sox fans like, "Oh, Emily Rutschman," um, <laughs> and and so I kept trying to qualify if. But like it, it's funny because every year at this time, and we're, we're two weeks before the draft, there's there's like you know it's, it's like silly season in NASCAR. Like you just hear crazy rumors, and the two rumors on how Rutschman doesn't go number one are one, he had a shoulder injury in high school. He never even had surgery, and. Oh, right. Baltimore has a the Baltimore's probably the toughest team on medical records of any team when they're evaluating players. Although Peter Angelos is obviously much less involved in, in the, with the team than he has been in the past. And you know, I alluded to Brady Aiken earlier and you know Michael was with the Astros when they took Brady Aiken number one overall all, and and you know, post draft physical messed that up, although it, it it nicely wound up helping the Astros because they got a compensation pick when they didn't sign Aiken, who they tried to sign anyway. And they got Alex Bregman. So, like, the, the, the thinking is you, know, you put all this together. Oh, you know, we don't know really what the shoulder is. You know, Adelaide Rutschman doesn't take infield with the rest of the Oregon State Beavers, although I've, I've also been told that their catchers often don't take infield, so who knows? And, you know, Baltimore is going to bang his medical records, and Michael Ias doesn't want to do that again. I don't really believe that part of it. Um, I had a scouting director tell me that uh, unless they have to cut off his arm, he doesn't see how Rutschman isn't the number one overall pick. Um, there's that. Now the other theory, and this happens every year, where the team, are, you know, especially among the fans, of the team that's the number one pick, come up with this way that they're going to make like a, like a, a take a, a lesser guy who's like actually really good at number one and save a bunch of money. And they just crush everybody with their financial might in the rest of the draft. And I always say this every year. That makes no sense. You have to take the best guy. But you hear it every year. Like when the Diamondbacks pick number one and they took Dancy Swanson, at this time we're hearing, oh, they might take uh, Tyler Stevenson, a high school catcher from Georgia, or Garrett Whitley, a high school outfielder from, from New York, and, and do all this stuff. And no, like, it just doesn't make sense. to, to like, Anybody who looks at the draft knows if you do a, a – uh, you plot out the value, like whatever measure you want to use, like from pick to pick. It's a steep drop from number one to number five, and then from number five to the rest of the drafts. So you can't do that. Plus, this year <laughs> – so let's say the Orioles come up with some secret plan. And I don't think any of those top six guys are going to sign super cheap because, yes, one of them will go six, but the slots aren't that far off. And the guys who are going behind the White Sox, any of them could go four, and any of them could go six. But let's say the, the Orioles come up with some great plan and find a guy that they're going to sign for $5 million and save $3.5 million. The Diamondbacks pick four times before the Orioles pick again. Uh, right. And they have $2.3 million more in bonus pool money. So the Orioles could come up with this play and say, okay, we're going to get Maurice Hampton, this football player, uh, who's going to LSU, or Matthew Allen, who's a top high school pitcher in the draft, but he's going to be a really tough sign. And then the Diamondbacks might say, you know what, we'll take Maurice Hampton and Matthew Allen. And, oh, we got two more picks. So, you know, tough tough luck, Orioles. So, anyway, I, I just wanted to emphasize, when I, when I plotted that out on Twitter, it was in response to a, a question where somebody said, if... And, yes, if Adley Rutschman doesn't go number one, I do think the Royals are are locked in on Bobby Wood Jr. very strongly, and I do think Mm -hmm. Adley Rutschman then would go three, but I'm not really buying that he doesn't go number
0: one. And finally, Jim, I'm going to put you on the spot. What is your bold prediction for this Major League Baseball draft? Could we see something as crazy as last year with Oakland taking Kyler Murray ninth overall? Well,
2: I don't think it was that crazy. Like, like history will not be kind to the A's, and it'll look like they were idiots for taking him and letting him play football. But I, I'll, just, I'll digress here for a second. One, there were teams ahead of the A's who were considering taking him, and there were teams behind him. He, he was not going to last a whole lot longer. And he, after really not playing baseball for three years, made so much progress from playing part-time the year before to playing full-time last year in the spring, the guys were really excited about his potential. And, and the comp I got the most on him, was Andrew McCutcheon. <laughs> but, and this wasn't the A's, there's a the team that picked ahead of the A's, and has a, a guy who's scouted for a long time and knows his stuff, and we were just talking about Kyler Murray after all this blew up, and I threw out Andrew McCutcheon, and he's like, well, Jim, we had we had Ricky Henderson on him. That was their comp. <laughs> um, and, you know, people are like, oh, you know, how could you let that guy play football? Well, you weren't going to sign Kyler Murray without letting him go back. The problem was, and they did, I mean, at the time, Nobody thought this guy was a big-time NFL prospect because he's, he's the smallest. I'm not even just talking height. I'm talking about weight. Like He's 185 pounds before he booked up for the combine, and then shockingly, he's not run the 40 cents hmm, I wonder why. Because um, he put on 23 pounds. But like he's, he's not really big. And at the time, going into Oklahoma season, yeah, I, I think the expectation was he was going to have a big year because I mean, he was a great high school quarterback. It's a great system. But NFL guys were looking at him because of the size. It's like, yeah, maybe take him in the fourth or fifth round. Like, nobody saw him as any kind of NFL prospect, and he was going to scratch the itch of football because he'd been waiting three years to start in college football after transferring from Texas A&M. And before he – you know, so anyway – Like, I don't think that was a crazy pick. Like, I even got wind of it, like, about an hour before the draft that that was going to happen. So, anyway, I'm I'm digressing, but I'm, I'm, like, compelled to defend the A's for some reason. That was not a crazy pick. There were other teams who would have done it. It's just he got so good at football that his NFL stock shot through the roof. But, I mean, if you go back and look, nobody in the NFL was talking about that guy being even, like, a second-round pick going into the year. And they thought they were going to get him back. So, anyway, um, crazy stuff. Um... I guess I guess after all that, my answer is going to be no. Um, I I don't see. I mean, the best football player is a kid named Maurice Hampton. I think he could go. You know, he's like it's kind of like a high school pitcher. He's a, he's a high school outfielder from Tennessee. He's a four-star cornerback, ticketed for LSU, where he played both sports. And it's like these high school pitchers. Somebody could take Maurice Hampton. You know, well, in the bottom third of the first round, and pay him there, or he could slide a little bit to somebody's second or third pick, and get paid the same amount of money there. But like, I don't, I don't think there's anything, you know, crazy where people, you know, it's going to blow people's minds. I mean, the one of the things I'm interested in seeing, one of the guys I like best in the draft, is a kid named Brett Beatty, who's a high school hitter from Texas, and I think you could argue. Depending on if you want to be optimistic or pessimistic, you could argue that he's the second best all-around hitter in the draft for average and power behind Andrew Vaughn. And if you want to be pessimistic, at worst he's the fifth best hitter for average and power in the draft. But it's interesting because he's he's going to be nineteen and a half year old nineteen and a half years old on draft day, and there are teams that look at age very seriously who want no part of him. And there are other teams who think he's one of the very best bats in the draft, which he is. So I'll be kind of curious to see where he goes i I can't really imagine him getting past the 20th pick and he might go even you know 10 picks or so higher than that but that's one of the things i'm kind of curious about is where exactly he falls
0: you can follow jim on twitter and you're going to want to for the latest prospect rankings and updates on the major league baseball draft boards as he mentioned a new top 200 draft prospect list is coming out soon on MLBpipeline.com, which you could read, and you'll want to make sure to bookmark that site for Monday, June third, as it'll be the Major League Baseball draft, and you could watch Jim on MLB Network. As that show starts at 5 p.m. Central time, you always do a great job with the gym. It'll be very interesting to see what the White Sox do at third overall. Maybe the bold move is that Baltimore doesn't take Adley Rushman, and White Sox fans can legitimately lose their minds. Uh, But again, you can follow Jim on Twitter, at Jim Callis, M-O-B. Jim, as always, thanks for coming on the show.
2: Oh, always great talking to you, Josh, and I'm sure we'll talk after the draft once we know exactly who the White Sox get.
0: Yes, and we can fantasize about C.J. Abrams (laughs) and the 2023 Chicago White Sox. There you go. (laughs) Thanks, Jim. Thank you. When your entire life is online, you need more than just speed from your Internet. Xfinity gives you reliable in-home Wi-Fi coverage, plus protection from Wi-Fi network
1: threats. Check out our amazing offers on Xfinity Internet. You'll get fast speed and Wi-Fi coverage you can count on. Plus, get advanced security free with the X-Fi Gateway so you can keep the connected devices in your home protected from network threats. Just log in and activate through the Xfinity app. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today to learn more. Restrictions apply.
0: Let's recap the Chicago White Sox weekend as they split their six-game homestand against the Cleveland Indians and Toronto Blue Jays going 3-3, as Mother Nature played a factor this weekend. And joining me now to discuss is the managing editor of SoxMachine.com. It's Jim Margulis. And hello, Jim. I got to tell you, the weather here in Chicago this past weekend has been a whirlwind at times, literally. Uh, But hey, Lucas Giolito finally snapped the complete game drought. Yeah, it was
1: fantastic weather where I was. I was in Virginia Beach over the weekend, so I kind of caught... Parts of the series, uh, my brother was getting in his ship. Uh, the The Stennis aircraft carrier was getting into Norfolk uh, Naval Base after a nine month deployment, so was going to see him come in. And uh, so I missed the, missed uh, a lot of the series, but I did catch some of Giolito. And yeah, it was. <laughs> yeah, I guess it's gonna be. It was gonna have to be the way the White Sox ended the complete game drought. It was either gonna be that or an eight inning complete game loss. And I think I'd rather take <laughs> this one over the uh, <laughs> uh, completely empty. It, it's slightly empty, the uh, five inning or whatever complete game, but it's better than the Gavin Floyd special, which is the uh, complete game
0: uh, defeat. Chris Kamka on Twitter posted this, which I think uh, really is an eyebrow raiser. And we talked a little bit about this last week. And Gilito's first eight starts in 2018. His season ERA was 6.91. He had 32 walks, 24 strikeouts. So a year ago... That was the Lucas Giolito we were talking about. In 2019, Giolito's ERA after eight starts is 3.35, so more than three runs fewer, Uh, 18 walks, and 50 strikeouts, so twice as many strikeouts, almost half the walks, almost uh, half as far as uh, the—no, more than half of the ERA that he had in 2018, so it's been quite the turnaround. And, uh, James Feagan, friend of the show had a piece over the weekend on the athletic about Lucas Gilito fixing himself, making these adjustments. And he did so by going back to his former high school coach, Ethan Kratz, who is currently a San Francisco Giants pitching coordinator, uh, to make the adjustments we've seen this season and pitching coach Don Cooper, uh, in the piece, didn't really care that Giolito reached out to a former coach. He thought it was a good thing. Uh, whatever you need to do to get yourself right. Uh, but, I do have to ask because it is on my mind Jim isn 't this what the White Sox pay their coaching staff to do, or are we just now operating a different era with drive line and specialized trainers and hitting coaches and pitching coaches that this is going to be the new norm for players trying to find answers is they are going outside of the organization to make these adjustments.
1: I think it's going to be a new norm, or at least it's uh, getting increasingly popular. I think what Giolito, and, and James mentioned this in his story, is that when the White Sox acquired him, they wanted him to get back to the mechanics he had when he was drafted. Uh, I think the Nationals, after Giolito had Tommy John surgery, they had messed with his mechanics. Uh, and really kind of threw him out of whack. And, and that's why the White Sox were able to get him as part of a package rather than as the headliner for a, a deal where he was undoubtedly the number one player. With, I guess, the White Sox, they, they brought in Steve McCaddy to be the uh, you know Charlotte pitching instructor because McCaddy was around uh, as Giolito, I guess, had gotten a little bit screwed up. And not it wasn't McCaddy. McCaddy was... Uh, not involved, but he at least knew what Giolito brought when he was uh, in the organization uh, early on in his prospect uh, career with the Nationals. But I think the White Sox were just kind of feeling around and trying to see, and I think both parties were trying to get him back to where he was and nobody could really feel it. And Giolito had problems uh, maintaining his mechanics and repeating his delivery and I think anything that helps a player get back to where he was, and I think you know going back to your high school, you know, and, and that's where G Leo's drafted out of high school. That's when his stock was theoretically the highest. Um, it, it seems like a good move, and I think there are going to be more and more players doing this, especially as there are more and more um, you know hitting instructors who are, I, I guess, savvier with. Uh, changing swings and, and getting more out of approaches, and, and as we are seeing with pitchers, uh, with drive line and so forth, just getting more about mechanics and, and helping pitchers get straightened out and do something more repeatable. And as we saw with Carson Fulmer going to drive line, it's not a cure all, and it, it might work for some and not others. But I think you can say the same thing with your know, team instructors, with Don Cooper. You know, his some of his things might work for some pitchers and not others, like Francisco Liriano. What Cooper had to say for Liriano didn't really click with him, but he reinvented himself with Pittsburgh, and I imagine any time a player can get better with the White Sox and uh, you know provide them value, even if it's not the White Sox doing it, as long as it's not going to be something that that, that costs a player you know months of a season with injuries, I think uh, the White Sox would be for it.
0: It's just kind of fascinating to me because you know we always talk about coaches and how much credit they should get. For making a turnaround for a player. And with the story coming out, when it comes to Lucas Giolito, and people ask, wow, how much credit should Don Cooper get? Uh, my answer would be incredibly very little <laughs> based on this story. It just seems like this is mostly on Giolito uh, to reach out to his old high school coach and you know, Coach Kratz now with the with the San Francisco Giants organization. Uh, taking the time out of his offseason. But it sounds like other pitchers that went to the same high school as Giolito, Atlanta Braves prospect Max Fried, we've heard a lot about him, uh, St. Louis Cardinals pitcher Jack Flaherty, uh, who has been successful in the major leagues. They keep going back to Kratz during the offseason, so this may be the new norm for Giolito. And you know what? It's great. It's great that the players are taking this initiative. Um, but again, you know, I look at it from the team perspective of, are you doing everything possible in your player development to make your players better or give them every opportunity to make themselves better. And if this responsibility is being pushed onto the players, uh, I find that a bit weird, but I could also see the point, Jim, maybe it's a comfort thing that the players are just more comfortable outside of what the team provides and just finding their own answers.
1: Yeah. I, I think it's important for the team not to try to cram everybody into the same box and same approach. And so, Um, yeah, I think it'd be more problematic if if Cooper got mad at Giolito for seeking help elsewhere after a bad season. And yeah, I think Cooper does get some credit with Giolito in terms of teaching him a slider, you know, to giving him a breaking ball that isn't so conducive uh, or isn't so uh, reliant on being ahead in the counts and uh, putting guys away. The slider, he's able to grab strikes with it. He's able to get swings and misses, able to get weak contact. It's a useful pitch for him. It, it makes his curveball, uh, it, it helps him slide down the chain and, and be just uh, more of a show me pitch or a, a pitch he can, really only uh use ahead of the count the slider is more versatile and that's working for him and that's a uh that seems to be a don cooper thing so uh there are some fingerprints of cooper's on giolito but i think uh you know if if i'd be more worried if uh you know giolito got help from his high school coach and was starting to get better and cooper was angry about it or Mm. uh yeah i guess tried to push for the White Sox to trade him because he's not listening or anything like that. I I think the lack of professional jealousy is a better sign than uh, Cooper not being the one to get credit for, uh, I guess, all or most or the bulk of Giolito's success.
0: Well, Giolito is making the job a bit easier on Coach Cooper uh, as Don Cooper's got his hands full, um, possibly this upcoming week with injuries and now trying to figure out what's going on with the bullpen. But there is some good news to the bullpen, and there's some bad news. The good news, we'll start with that. Uh Whoever thought that Aaron Bummer and Evan Marshall would be the heroes in shining armor coming to save the day for the White Sox bullpen? Aaron Bummer has only allowed one run, which was unearned. So in 10.1 innings, Aaron Bummer has a zero ERA with 10 strikeouts and three walks. That's a 26.3 strikeout percentage for bummer. Evan Marshall still scoreless over seventy-two thirds innings. Uh however he just has four strikeouts, uh which is a twelve percent strikeout rate. So something tells me they that may not be lasting much longer. But it is great to see uh that they are performing and they're performing well and did you have any inkling that Aaron Bummer and Evan Marshall would be the heroes to the bullpen? Bummer, kind of, or I shouldn't say heroes, but Bummer, I thought,
1: with Caleb Freire and with Jace Fry, that. The order of lefties that they open the season with might not be the ones they finish the season with just because they all have live arms they both you know or they all can improve or they all can explode and i think with frere we're seeing that uh you know the the signs they had last season have not followed up he had really you know had a lot of control problems with the white Sox and charlotte he's been better but not great and fry has been iffy but i think uh bummer has really improved especially his uh his what would be lefty it would be his glove side command you know going in on righties and and jamming them and and getting them to swing over the back foot slider he's got the cutter he's got the sinker um he's throwing two miles per hour harder so i think you put that all together and you could see him making the leap and being a very useful weapon on the bullpen marshall i think is more random um i guess the strikeout rate doesn't You know the strikeout rate is bad for when if you're expecting him to be a high leverage righty. But I think he's somebody who gets ground balls. He's got a lot of uh, movement uh, with his fastball, uh, a lot of sink, and and so I think he can be a weak contact guy. And and, you know I guess that uh, isn't ideal for an eighth inning where you need a strikeout and there's a flare hit over the infield that knocks in two runs. You know that's uh, you wouldn't want to see him in that role. But I think for somebody who can handle a sixth inning of a game that's within reach or uh yeah occasional tough situations if uh, if a guy named needs rest i can see marshall hanging on he was a you know, he had a pretty good season and then uh, he got knocked out with a line drive and had really had a difficult time making it back so he's shown flashes of it before and i think uh, a few years removed from the injury and uh w- with that kind of fastball leaf he has you can see him being useful uh for over the
0: course of a full season now let's go over to the bad kelvin herrera And Jace Fry. Herrera, over 20 innings, now has an ERA of 5.85. He's allowed three home runs. Over those 20 innings, he's allowed 22 hits as well. He has 18 strikeouts to eight walks. Jace Fry 16 and third innings I thought he was turning a corner that really hasn't been the case his season ERA is 6.06 the strikeout totals are good he has 24 strikeouts over those 16 and third innings but he does have 11 walks with 15 hits allowed 11 earned runs and Fry is allowed two home runs let's start with Kelvin Herrera because I believe this might be a health issue do you think that the bad back that's been barking on him the last couple of weeks is playing a factor here Jim
1: it really uh lines up as such. Uh the, the pitcher that he was before, the the results he was getting before the injury are nothing like the results he's getting now, but when you look at his components, you know, his uh his velocity, his movement, you know, all the all the analytics underneath it, there really isn't evidence that he's um you know missing anything physically. You know, that he's he's pitching through something, that he's hiding something. Uh you know, if you saw the kind of customary things where his uh, velocity dropped, or the movement had stopped, or his release point was compromised. The only, you know, when you look at his release point on uh, you know the charts, the only one where it was compromised was the outing where he ha- where he had the back spasms and left the game early. Since then, it's back to normal. I think it's just, um, you know, perhaps a feel thing, uh, being knocked off course and maybe not feeling right. But I don't know if it's some, yeah, you know, based on what he's showing physically uh velocity wise it seems like something that he can pitch through uh maybe with this you know hell week coming up with the Astros and Twins there might be a low leverage outing or two for him to you know get back on track and 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 throw without uh you know i guess hits or hard contact being the uh, what decides a game so there's that uh, but I think it would be ideal for Renteri to get him in a game like that just to see if he can straighten out you know, without a, the injured list getting involved because um, there is something off but I just can't quite put my finger on it aside from just you know missing with location and even then you know the the two-run homer Vladimir Carrillo hit out was inside and off the plate it's just that's just some freaky bat speed and natural contact abilities that I think uh, got the best of them there yeah Vlad Guerrero
0: Jr. is going to be a problem for many years <laughs> for major league pitching that was an incredible home run that he had to put the Blue Jays ahead and as you mentioned Jim there's not much that Herrera could do he was trying to jam him he got inside on him but Guerrero Jr. is just that good of a hitter uh, for Jace Fry. Will we see Rick Renteria flip situations where we would maybe see Jace Fry in a high leverage situation recently, but now he may use Aaron Bummer more in those situations?
1: I think so. Uh, it would make sense. I don't think I think that Bummer, the way he's pitching, is more than a flash in the pan, like you know, uh, Evan Marshall might be, at least when it comes to the I guess the uh, extent of the success that he's had. Uh, Fry, you know, early in the season looked like he was off. He was off in spring training and then seemed like he got it back and, and Renteria was going uh, with that. He was, uh, you saved him for some, you know, specialist situations to get him back into a rhythm of success and then expanded his outings to full innings and was working and he's hit another snag. And I think with these games getting tougher and, and the schedule taking a turn for the, uh, I, I guess, the more complicated and, and more arduous, that Bummer should be the guy, at least until he's he proves that uh, you know he's not cut for it. But we saw that last year with Fry that he came out of nowhere and seized those innings and became the White Sox best high leverage reliever. And it kind of sucks that he's you know not as reliable this year and, and might be taking a step back. But if Bummer steps up, you know they're no worse for the wear in terms of effective lefties in high leverage situations.
0: Yeah, bullpens are tricky, right? It, it just seems mm-hmm. like it's a year to year thing for many teams around Major League Baseball. Uh, it's hard for bullpens, for whatever reason, to stay consistent. A lot of times it's injuries, but on the performance level, uh, it's, just, it's not common to see consistent bullpens throughout the league. And for Jace Fry, I think he's suffering a little bit of that, going from having a great 2018, hitters now have a better book on him, and now he's really struggling in 2019. Hopefully, he can turn it around. But thankfully... The White Sox have Aaron Bummer and Evan Marshall to save the day currently. And the bullpen numbers look a lot better. Uh, and I think in large thanks to those two. And Alex Colomay, of course, is still throwing really well in the ninth inning. Roster news after the game on Sunday against the Blue Jays. Nicky Delmonico is optioned back to Charlotte, which means that Aloy Jimenez is coming back. And he'll join the team down in Houston and will enter in the lineup again. It'll be a great sign. Jim, when the injury first was announced as a high ankle sprain, we both thought we wouldn't see him until June. So it's a good thing that on May 20th that the White Sox will have Jimenez back sooner uh, than we were thinking that he'd be back. Uh, But I do have this question for you. While they're making this roster change, anyone else you think should be swapped for a player down in Charlotte?
1: Not right now. Uh, I think with Charlie Tilson proving that he's worthy of major league at-bats until either the league figures him out or he sticks, I think he's a good use of it right now. Uh, yeah, there are some guys performing in AAA. There's Daniel Palka, who seems to have gotten past his uh, spring training, and in April funk and uh, is, is hitting the ball like he should and drawing a ton of walks, too. That's the weird thing about his Charlotte numbers. The walks are kind of coming out of nowhere. Uh, Danny Mendick is looking interesting in the middle infield, so there's that. Um, But I I think right now, with nobody in Birmingham really performing, uh, with the catchers, uh, Collins and Zavala just getting back into regular action after their injuries... Uh, I think there will be the chance of DFA some guys later or or try to trade some guys for players to be named later just to open some things up. But I think right now, without with all the guys struggling in Birmingham and nobody really looking worthy of being promoted to Charlotte to take those um, plate appearances there, I just think the White Sox are a bit too thin up top to be, uh, I guess, cavalier about sending guys down or, 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 or shipping guys out of the system because we saw that with... A couple of Septembers ago with Derek Holland when they cut him because they didn't have a use for him, all of a sudden a couple of injuries happen and they're really scraping the bottom of the barrel for starters and relievers to get through the rest of the season in September. And I think right now with Birmingham being such a disaster area right now for development and Charlotte being a weird uh, environment for hitters right now, we don't really know how good any of these guys are. I think I'm fine with just uh, Jimenez for now and then waiting for maybe June, early July for bigger, more consequential Major League moves uh, to open
0: that up. Well, let's move forward as the upcoming week we've been calling for a while is Hell Week as the White Sox head to Houston and Minnesota for these next seven games. But before we do that, a quick word from our sponsor, SeatGeek, with millions of live event tickets and a price match guarantee, SeatGeek proves there's a better way for buying tickets, searching sports, live music, comedy, and more. SeatGeek has the tickets you are looking for all in one place in an industry that tends to stagnate. SeatGeek decided to stand out from the crowd. They built the fastest way to find tickets so you can stop searching for the perfect seat and start enjoying it. Why is SeatGeek better than the rest? Well, a quick look at their app store shows over 50,000 five-star reviews. How's that for customer satisfaction? And it's a better process. seek pulls together millions of tickets from all over the web. They rate each ticket on a deal uh, scale of 1 to 10. And finally, SeatGeek displays them on an interactive seat map. If you're going to a venue you've never been before, they give you the views of what your seat would look like uh, before you buy that ticket. So you're not guessing if you're buying a good seat. And SeatGeek breaks down the details. The green dots mean good deals. Red dots, stay away. Those tickets are overpriced. And I just use SeatGeek. This past weekend, I bought eight tickets for the White Sox-Blue Jays game. Uh, It was a blast until the rain came, and it was just only five innings, but it was still a lot of fun. The process was really easy. SeatGeek has digital tickets, so they quickly scanned my phone, and I was able to get in the stadium within just a couple of minutes, so it's absolutely perfect for that as more and more stadiums go with digital tickets. But the best part of SeatGeek is that you, our listeners, get $10 off your first purchase. All you have to do is just use our promo code, so Download the SeatGeek app today on your smartphone and use promo code Machine for $10 off your first purchase. Again, that's promo code Machine for $10 off on your first purchase at SeatGeek. And now for the first part of Hell Week, I need to add in, like, some awesome music during this segment here, Jim. Or like uh, a thunderclap yeah, or something. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Uh <laughs> The Houston Astros have the best record in Major League Baseball. They are 31-16. and 16. They are averaging 5.5 runs per game. On the run prevention front, they are only allowing 3.5 runs per game. They are 16-4 and four at home. So these numbers do not look pretty right now. Uh, at least for the White Sox chances. And your probable pitchers for this series note that every single of these four games is a night game at 7.10 p.m. Central Time. On Monday, it is to be determined for the White Sox. This was Manny Benuelos's spot, but he's on the injured list. For the Astros, it would be Brad Peacock. On Tuesday, it'll be Dylan Covey against Justin Verlander. On Wednesday, it'll be Yvonne Nova against Garrett Cole. So, you know, Tuesday, Wednesday look great for the White Sox at this moment. However, on Thursday, it'll be Lucas Giolito against Corbin Martin, who is a rookie who was drafted out of Texas A&M out of the 2017 Major League Baseball draft. And Jim, on Twitter, I posted an over-under at two and a half wins. The amount that they will have this week on their road trip to Houston and Minnesota, are you taking the over or under two and a half wins this week? I'm going to say over, but only with three. I would be really happy if the White Sox go three and four this week.
1: Yeah, I feel, well, after Avon Nova beat Trevor Bauer, uh, <laughs> I, keeping, I'm keeping that in mind for weird things happening. Also, the Astros are a little bit banged up um, I guess we'll see if George Springer is out for a while. He left the game with uh, a back stiffness and Altuve is out and,
0: uh, you know, it might be catching them at an okay time to where they can get a split. Okay. Well, 176 votes on Twitter, 63% are going with an under. I'm going to go with the under as well, but I, I think that they could split this series. I don't think they have a chance again on Tuesday or Wednesday against Verlander or Cole. I think those are, those could be ugly games. But Monday against Brad Peacock and Thursday against Corbin Martin. But the situation is, who is going to start the game on Monday? If you're basing this off CBS Sports, which CBS Sports is listing that the probable pitcher for the White Sox would be Jordan Guerrero, uh, that may not be good uh, with the way that he's been throwing in Charlotte. Um, But any ideas on how the White Sox are going to handle Monday, Jim? Is this going to be a bullpen game?
1: It looks like it could be, um, when it, when it comes to the, I guess the, the previous front runner, which was Ross Detweiler for his one good start. He started Sunday for Charlotte, so he's out of the running. Um, so I really don't know who else it would be like, maybe they call up, uh, you know, cause they haven't made any corresponding roster moves yet for, uh, the, uh, Delmonico optioning and, you know, Jimenez will be one of them, but you know, maybe they call up somebody like Carson Fulmer just to get a couple innings out of him. You know, hopefully. Yeah, and we've we've seen before that's sometimes a, a big ask of them, but you know, maybe they call up some arm or maybe like a uh you know, they they call up Jose Ruiz too, and maybe they try to get two innings out of each and you know, kind of patch together a five inning approach just to get through the day and hope that it doesn't screw him up for
0: the rest of the series, but it looks like a mess right now. What are you hoping to see from this series? in Houston for these next four games? I
1: hope that they don't look as bad as they did against the Red Sox. You know, it, it's been such a soft schedule, you know, facing uh, Cleveland and Toronto and Cleveland Toronto. I mean, last time they faced a team that was any good was Boston and Boston wiped the floor with them. Uh, so, you know, it's been a couple of soft weeks and they've looked okay, but the schedule has been so uneven and the offenses they've faced have looked so bad that I just don't want to see a complete. Yeah, I expect some regression and some like, you know, maybe Dylan Covey struggling and. and Lucas Giolito's numbers are uneven. I mean, he's been great against teams that are bad, you know, offenses that are bad. Uh, The offenses that are good, he's been below average. So I guess I'd like to see him step up and even those numbers out a little bit. But I just really don't want to see, like, the double-digit run totals and the lopsided losses that we saw when they played the Red Sox.
0: Yeah, but I have a feeling that's coming, though. On Tuesday and Wednesday, I think are going to get ugly. Ugly. Like, 10-2 Ugly. So Jose Abreu does hit Justin Verlander somewhat well, so I guess I, I'm expecting that Jose yeah. Abreu could have a good good series here. Yeah,
1: I guess I'd like to see Eloy Jimenez you know hit the ground running. We saw Vladimir Guerrero; he really struggled out of the gates, and now he's heating up, you know, hitting homers on ridiculous pitches, and you know maybe coming back. And I'm hoping that they use him at DH too, especially the Crawford boxes and left uh, in Houston. Uh, the weird shape of left field could really uh, pose an injury risk to him. And I'd like to see him get some reps at DH and, you know, cause Yonder Alonso really isn't doing anything with those at-bats. Uh, may as well try to improve the outfield defense, let Jimenez work his way back into the lineup uh, without the defensive uh, responsibilities
0: and uh, just try to uh, you know, survive in advance. Well, we will be recapping the Houston Astros series later this week in PO Sox. So you guys could tune in for that. Uh, those on Thursday night after the game if you want to listen to the stream or you can listen to the podcast on Friday morning. But coming up next on the Sox Machine Podcast, it's the Minor League Report
1: leslie d won free groceries and shop play win monopoly at safeway don't miss your chance with only three weeks left to play satisfy your thirst with coca-cola bubbly or sparkling ice
0: take a snack break with sargento cheese or ritz, and serve up fun with pop tarts increase your chances to win shop these bonus ticket items specially tagged in store download the shop
2: play win app to play today no purchase necessary see rules at www.shopplaywin.com
0: hasbro is not a sponsor of this promotion with the minor league report, we start with the Charlotte Knights who are getting some good health news as Sebby Zavala and Zach Collins are back with the team after stints on the injured list as Sebby Zavala had the wrist in- inflammation and he's looking much better at the plate, now hitting with some more power as he has five home runs on this season and Zach Collins went on the injured list with a concussion. The Knights are 23-18 and 18 on the season. That's third place in the International League, division behind the Gwinnett Stripers and the Durham Bulls. I know we usually say that minor league records don't matter, but it is nice to see... That the White Sox prospects are keeping up with the Atlanta Braves and Tampa Bay Rays prospects as the Knights are just two games back of the Stripers for first place. Daniel Polka continues to stay hot. In 25 games, Polka is now hitting .311, 461 with a .644 slugging percentage with nine home runs, 26 strikeouts, and 25 walks. I got a chance to talk to Polka when I visited Charlotte a couple weeks ago and I asked him what type of adjustments he's trying to make to regain his 2018
1: form? Uh, I mean, I'm about as close as it gets right now. Uh, you know, I've been working with Frank nonstop, and you know, everything's everything's paying off. What we uh, what we've been doing. So, comfort wise, it's
0: you know, it clicked. It clicked like two days ago. Okay. Uh, you know, everything we've been doing, and it's just been good. Was it anything in particular that clicked for you or that caused that click?
1: You know, just some small mechanics, you know, uh, that that were
0: off and you know that I, I wasn't noticing and you know, it just got me out of funk. Matt Skull still leads the team in home runs with twelve, but Apolka continues hitting at this rate and yonder Alonzo continues to struggle at the plate. Do we have a big move that's coming up in the near future that brings Daniel Polka back and reduces the amount of plate appearances that Yonder Alonso receives? We shall see. Dylan Cease's last start was an extended one, as the key stat from that start was that he threw 98 pitches, the most in 2019. Cease did allow nine hits, but he also had eight strikeouts to just one walk over six innings, as he continues to pitch well in Triple A. Be interesting to see if the White Sox front office gives the green light for Cease to have starts where he approaches 100 pitches in outings to get him to ramp up possibly for an appearance with Chicago. In Birmingham, Luis Robert had the day off on Sunday as manager Omar Vizquel continues to have some rotation in the outfield trying to give playing time to Luis Gonzalez, Luis Masabe, and Blake Rutherford. Despite being in last place, again, in the Southern League North Division, the Barons are 6-4 and four in their last 10 games, and leading the offense is a prospect we don't really talk about, and that's catcher Yerman Mercedes. Well, for one, he's 26 years old, so I guess the term prospect is being used loosely here, But Mercedes is hitting 3.76 with a .415 on-base percentage, and he's slugging .565 in 25 games, helping carry the offensive load along with Luis Robert. On the pitching side for the Barons, Jimmy Lambert continues to impress, striking out 53 batters over 44 and two-thirds innings this season with a 3.22 ERA, including 11 strikeouts in his last start. Lambert just has 13 starts in AA for his career, but maybe he's someone who could be in Charlotte for the second half of the season. The Wins at Salem Dash are 21-21 and 21 as they are feeling the sting of losing out on Luis Robert being promoted. They have lost seven of their last 10 games, but Connor Pinkleton turned in a gem on Sunday. He struck out 12 batters over six scoreless innings. And Kanopoulos is 19-23 on the season. Two pitchers to keep an eye on with the Intimidators. Reliever Vince Aribo a 24th round pick in 2017 and pitching out of the bullpen, has 33 strikeouts to just four walks in 23 and two-thirds innings, so that's a good ratio. And starter Taylor Varnell, who was a 29th round pick in last year's draft, has 53 strikeouts over 43 and two-thirds innings, which covers eight starts. That'll do it for the Minor League Report. Now it's time to answer your questions in P.O. Sox. You've
2: stuffed our mailbox all week with questions from your tweets and Facebook posts. Now, to cure your curiosity on the White Sox, here is P.O. Sox.
0: Thanks, Rob. And yes, this is our favorite part of the show where you, the fans and listeners, get to ask the questions. It's P.O. Sox, where you submitted your questions to us via Twitter tweeting them to at Sox Machine, liking our Facebook page at facebook.com slash Machine and helping support the site and the show by becoming a friend of the podcast at patreon.com slash Machine. And those Patreon supporters got quite a bit of juicy content, additional content from our guest Jim Callis this week, and they'll get some additional PO Sox questions answered this week. But let's start with the mailbag here. The first question, Jim, that we have... For P.O. Sox comes from J.D. And J.D. is asking, bad loss on Sunday, very 2009 to 2016-like. Do you foresee any major moves coming via trade, DFAs, etc.?
1: I think there may come a time for DFAs. I think the, I guess, the three veterans that right now might be blocking uh, people who might make more uh, interesting use of the playing time is Wellington, Castillo, Yonder, Alonso, and Yolmer Sanchez. They're all scuffling along, um, not making... You know, uh, Castillo's had some good games, then he just has some games where he disappears and undermines all his gains. Uh, Alonso right now is theoretically hitting into bad luck, but when I watch him, you know, I, I guess... I don't see the bad luck. I just see a guy who's shiftable and doesn't run fast, so that's going to depress his batting average on balls in play and all the luck factor there. Uh, Not really getting a lot of lift and driving the ball to pole field, uh, which I guess is where I'd expect his success to come from. So I'm I'm bearish on him meeting his expected batting numbers. And then, uh, you know, Yolmer is just, you know, I guess it it depends on what Danny Mendick does and if he looks worthy of those infield reps. I think with Mendick and Jose Rondon, it's worth figuring out what you have there. And so maybe Yomer goes somewhere to make room for them. But uh, aside from moving guys, I I would think Luis or uh, Dylan Cease and Luis Robert are really the only prospects to keep an eye on this year uh, in terms of guys who could be making their debuts. I think Cease could be making his debut within a month. Uh, Robert, I know that was your bold prediction that he'll get there and Right now, he's on track to be a September call-up. Whether the White Sox want to, uh, you know, play the same games to do with Eloy Jimenez uh, remains to be seen. But you know, he's so far doing okay in Birmingham, so he might be a, a factor. But aside from those two guys and and maybe some lottery tickets with Mendick and uh, Rondone and the Second Coming of Paulka and such, I don't think there's. A whole lot of talent to be expected or moved unless you know maybe i guess when i look at the guys who could be traded the one i wonder about is alex calame uh if he keeps uh, having the season he's having and uh the it's it's a uh seller's market for relievers maybe he's somebody who can be moved and uh, the white Sox can get somebody who helps you know patch a hole in their depth chart because i think with the all the stagnation Birmingham, there are some guys who, uh, you know, double-A and triple-A who uh, all of a sudden can fit in pretty well. And column-A might be a a way to uh, patch a
0: hole that's suddenly sprung. JD, thank you so much for your question. Our next question comes from Gukas Liagito, and Gukas is asking, are there any stats or metrics that can show that James McCann is doing a better job with the pitching staff then Wellington Castillo, do their stats with common relievers bear presumption out? Uh not really when it comes to the sample
1: size and also the lopsided schedule they've had. Uh they played so many uh bad offenses over the first two months that it's really hard to uh I guess gauge whether a pitcher's you know or a catcher is responsible for success. You know, at one point McCann's uh, catcher ERA was uh below four and Wellington Castillo's was above I think six and a half, and I think now they've even they're they're drawing closer. Wellington Castillo's catcher ERA is five point six eight. Uh, James McCann's is at four point five nine. So basically within a run of each other. So that's evening out. I think McCann benefited from being one Lucas Gilito's primary catcher and also Carlos Rodon's primary catcher, while uh, Wellington Castillo got a lot of Ivan Nova starts. And I think we're seeing with Nova and Manny Banuelos that uh, McCann isn't uh, a magician when it comes to making bad pitchers good or even acceptable and, and Castillo is not necessarily somebody who's dragging pitchers down I think the White Sox just didn't really build up a whole lot of starting pitching depth and we're seeing that arise and McCann got the uh he drew the better straws so far but now it's evening out so right now yeah I I think uh I'm I can understand the arguments for McCann being the better catcher and uh being somebody you'd want to see behind the plate but I don't think Castillo is as bad as uh McCann made him look and maybe the selection of pitchers made him look and uh I I think these numbers will continue to be even out I think when you look at OPS they're even Castillo uh Castillo's pitchers are allowing a 799 OPS McCann's are allowing an 800 OPS so basically they're dead even I I think McCann's benefited from uh strikeouts more than Castillo has and I think that's part partially the pitchers he's drawn and that'll even out as the pitching depth really gets
0: tested Gukas, thank you so much for your question. Our next question comes from Snarky Dave. And Snarky Dave is asking you, Jim, how close is Luis Gonzalez? Is he the next outfielder that has no prior Major League Baseball experience to get a big league look? He's not close.
1: Uh, He's not... He's treading water at Birmingham. He might be <laughs> struggling to keep his head above water, but he's not looking as overmatched as Blake Rutherford is and as Mike Adolfo was before Adolfo got injured and, and is done for the year. But it looks like it's going to take him the full, at least right now I'm counting him spending the full year in Birmingham, and uh, hopefully at the end of it he starts figuring things out. Right, yeah, There isn't a whole lot of strength in this contact. Uh, the, the strikeouts are up. Uh, so it seems like it's going to be a, a steep learning curve for him, and that's to be expected. Uh, yeah, I think he made easy work of A-ball because he was uh, advanced uh, when it came to the competition, and this is really now him uh, getting picked on by people's own size, maybe even a bit bigger, and it's going to take him some time to figure it out. Right now, I think the guy who is the outfielder who is the closest one to making his Major League debut this year is Luis Robert, really having a big year, and... and uh, the strikeouts are down. The he's making regions, <laughs> regions feel like really small. Uh, some of the homers he's hit have really been uh, no doubters. The the strength is there. The uh, the fly balls are there. He seems like he's making more out of his contact than he was last year, and that's carried from A ball to Double A. So. Uh, assuming he can stay healthy and there isn't some kind of book on him that can be easily figured out in a week by uh, A pitchers, I think he could make the jump to AAA. And then I think, I, I think if the White Sox are trying to play by the same playbook that they use with Eloy Jimenez, they'll try to make the jump to AAA as late as possible and then say, well, he's still got work to do and we're not going to call him up until we can try to, I guess, strong arm him into a uh, under market deal. But Uh, That's, I guess, my pessimism showing. I think if the White Sox are trying to, you know, should Roberts, you know, I guess his numbers even out and the batting average climb over 250 with all the walks and power stats working for him, I would like to, I guess I'd make the same argument that I made for him in his last year. If he looks worthy of a promotion, call him up, let him get his rookie jitters out when there are no stakes see what you have see what uh you can project him to be in his first full season see what uh is on the market that he can supplement uh the roster with and see if he can make a serious run for contending i think that's if the white Sox could do it over again uh well i don't know if they would do it differently but i do wonder if they're kicking themselves with jimenez not letting him get these uh you know defensive and offensive struggles out of the way Or, or maybe you know maybe last year would have been completely different and he makes uh the league look easy and all of a sudden, you know, the projections look yeah, rosier and they make a bigger move for major league talent, whether it's Manny Machado or Bryce Harper or others. You know, maybe they uh, consider themselves close to contending because they saw him a succeed. I would like to see them do that with Robert. Should Robert look worthy? He's not there yet. I, I think the hit tool needs to uh, shape up a little bit, double A, but I think he's ahead of schedule based on what we saw from him last year and uh should the uh you know should the talent click the way it did in a ball you know say within a month uh and he starts making easy work of the league i think you could see him for the last couple months of the season if the
0: white Sox want to do it differently yeah let's see where he's at in two months if he's where he is now at the rate metrics that he's currently hitting at double a two months from now or even better then yeah i'm gonna feel a lot better about my bold prediction coming in september i On the Robert, what do you think about with Jim Callis says that Robert has a chance to be considered a top five prospect uh, in next year's top 100 rankings with all the uh, some of the graduations that will be happening? Like Aloy Jimenez is going to be graduating soon from the top 100 list.
1: It's uh, it seems steep, but not, you know, the talent is there for it. I think, you know, I guess my biggest reservations with Robert comes down to health and whether like one slide. Ruins him for a couple months and and, and saps his power and everything. But talent-wise, he's there. Uh, Baseball America, they've revised their top 100 month by month, and I think he gains something like 16 spots uh, month to month, which is huge um, when it comes to talent evaluations. I think, yeah, it doesn't sound like much... Climbing 16 spots, but I, I think those uh, you know, month by month uh, revisions are inherently conservative because you don't want. Yeah, it doesn't really speak well to your rankings if they can be so easily undone by one month in new level. So I, I think they're always going to be a little bit conservative, and I think so. 16 spots is a huge jump for a single month, and you know, should he back it up with strong plate Birmingham, and uh, I think right now, May, yeah, I would say in June. Like, say if he makes a huge jump in June. To where all of a sudden Triple A looks like uh, uh, you know where he belongs. Yeah, I guess by the end of that month, that'll be a massive jump for him and his talent, and especially up the middle with strong defense there and, and power and uh, an improving batting eye. It's really hard to find a a hole in his uh, his resume aside from just reps and maybe just a little bit of fear about a long swing or something that can be exploited by major league pitching,
0: which basically all prospects have. But great questions from everybody this week in P.O. Sox. Thank you guys so much for submitting questions. If you have a question or topic that you would like us to tackle on a future edition of the Sox Machine podcast, again, follow us on Twitter. We're at Socks Machine. And you can also like our Facebook page at Facebook.com slash Machine. And you can help support the site and the show by going to Patreon.com slash Machine. You guys get additional content Uh, Weekly, monthly now, as far as additional articles and podcast segments. Again, for those that support us on Patreon, you guys get seven more minutes with Jim Callis as he answers a lot of your guys' questions. Seven minutes in heaven. Seven minutes in heaven with Jim Callis. Uh, And we'll have Jim (laughs) Callis back on the show a week after the Major League Baseball draft to recap the draft picks for the White Sox. But if you're into the Major League Baseball draft and you want to know more, Jim answered a lot more questions in the Patreon-only podcast feed, which, if you would like that, go to patreon.com slash SoxMachine to sign up today. And that will do it for this edition of the Sox Machine podcast. Thank you guys so much for listening. You can subscribe to the show via iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and audioboom.com slash SoxMachine. The Sox Machine podcast is a production of SoxMachine.com, your home for all things Chicago White Sox baseball. Alongside Jim Margulis, I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for listening.
1: Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary,
2: The Kings